0: Thank you all so much for being here, and if I haven't had the opportunity, my name is Nick, and I get to serve here as a community pastor and be a part of this church, and uh, to be loved by you and to be able to serve alongside of you is a great honor, and so um, I'm excited to be with you this morning. We're continuing in our uh, series. We're actually going to be closing it today Is One Church, Multiple Generations. Uh, Today we're going to be in Romans 12, and you can start turning there. It's been great to see God's spectrum of discipleship. As we look through God's word, starting in Deuteronomy, looking at how God has called us to start discipling, to start sharing the love of Christ, his word with our kids from an early age in the home. In the church from morning till night, we're cultivating spiritual growth in our young kids. And not only that, we looked at our student ministry and how even though they may be young in age, that that should not be something that keeps them from growing in maturity of Christ and serving and leading and being part of the disciples making process. And even last week, looking at young adults being in this different transitional period of not being a kid, but being an adult for the first time, how to couple that together with more mature believers to help navigate through life, to have a, uh, a coach, to have someone come alongside of you and encourage you in the faith, and how important that is to all of us. And today we're looking at adult discipleship. We're looking at what it means and what this looks like to function the way God describes it here in Romans 12. And to be honest, uh, we mentioned this last week, but not one of us is sitting here today as a believer or part of this church that has not been able to covenant or be in a relationship with somebody that has helped pour into our faith. Um, We don't stand here as solo members having stood upon our own understanding part of our own uh, research, part of our own faith. Like, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need His truth spoken into our lives. Um, We are saved by grace. So none of it is of our own work. But even the maturing of our faith happens through covenant relationships that we have. Think through scriptures. We have God covenanting with man. Uh, from the very beginning. We see him renew that covenant over and over again because we're a bunch of goobers and we're sinful and we broke it over and over and over again, yet he was faithful to be steadfast in his love towards us. We see the marriage covenant where man and woman come together and also in that relationship uh, grow together, mature together, um, urge each other on, sharpen one another, the parent-child. And then we see that we covenant together as a church, as a body, to do the very same thing, to urge each other on, to disciple one another. Because we're all in this process of being discipled, being in this process of being redeemed, taking from one step of being babies in Christ to being conformed into His image completely. And that won't happen this side of eternity, but this is what God is doing in His Word. This is what God is commanding us as His church. This is not optional. Just like we said last week, like God has given us the call, the mandate, the command to be disciple makers and to be disciples. And so that's why I'm excited about this because it, it is life-giving. It is life-changing. It is not of us. It is completely of him. And he has chosen to let us be a part of that. And so as we get ready to look in uh, Romans 12, what I want us to do is look at this passage that's very prescriptive of what it should look like and how we should function as believers, not as single entities, but a part of this biblical community that is the church and so he starts to describe what it should be like, what should be in there, what shouldn't be there. And so this is Paul's letter. And so we'll start in chapter twelve, starting in verse nine, and it starts off by just saying, Let love be genuine. Let that set on you just for a moment. Let love be genuine. Then he goes on, he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Father, we come opening your word, asking God that you would give us wisdom and discernment, Father, for us to hear clearly from you. Father, as your spirit moves among us this morning, God, I pray that we would be faithful to respond. That, Father, we would be healed where there is brokenness. Father, we would be convicted where there is sin. Father, that we would be brought to life where there is deadness. And, Father, we recognize that all of this can only be done through you. So, God, we ask and call upon you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we look at this passage, and it starts off with, let love be genuine. And so when we look at this passage, and you can, you can translate this in the positive or in the negative. The positive is, let love be genuine. The negative side of this would be, is let love be without hypocrisy. And it's interesting when you look at it that way of saying, let love be without hypocrisy hypocrisy, then we start thinking about hypocrisy, and at its simplest terms or simplest definition, hypocrisy is simply pretending to be something that you truly are not at your core. It is a facade. It is fake. It is a projection of what we would like to be seen as, but in our core, we know we are not that. We may be close in some areas and further in others, but it doesn't matter. To be, hypocr- to be a hypocrite is to put forth a facade or an image that is not accurate to who you truly are and as Christians he's urging us on to be genuine in our love and this love comes not from ourselves this love doesn't come from our idea of the world because the idea of the world is to love yourself and and to make this your better self and to basically have all these strings attached when we love others because it's like hey I'm gonna love you but there's all these things that I need in return from that like you're lovable as long as if you do this 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 and this however if you don't do this this and this my love will return void because you didn't meet the commission the, you didn't read the conditions on the iTunes agreement you just said agree and now you're finding out there was all these strings attached to it so he's saying let love be genuine and so he's saying love genuine and sacrificial and all these other things but genuine also means authentic, authentic being authentic and being transparent saying this is truly who I am from the very inside to the outside like what you see on the outside is who I am on the inside and I think often as a church and in the Christian community and I know this is something big for me growing up is that this love being genuine or this love being of Christ somehow gets translated into this love being perfect now his love is perfect it's unfailing It's good, it's everlasting, it's steadfast, but my love being still in a sinful nature is not perfect. And so he's not asking for perfection because it's something we cannot cannot do, we can't compete with that. But he's saying let your love be genuine, let it be authentic, that's not even a word, authentic, be pure, Be, be without strings attached to it. And so this um, hypocrisy that we see is, is damaging because it puts forth this image and any love that we try to receive from someone cannot actually be received because it's built on these false expectations of who we actually are. Think about that for a moment. When we put forth a fake image that things are okay, that our marriages are okay, that our kids are okay, that there's no secret sin in our life, that we are not struggling at all to be Christ-like. When we put those things forward, we are not actually able to receive the love of Christ, either from him or from you, because it is all set forth in this, I need a different word, this fake facade. Okay, this fake facade of what we want it to be. And so it's not actually able to be received. And so the church cannot afford this because what ends up happening is, is that we end up becoming a church filled with people who begin to put on facades that begin to put on the image of what it looks like because we know what the heart change should look like on the outside and so we started looking at the do's and don'ts of Christianity right so we we make sure we pray we wear the Christian shirt we put the fish on the back of our car we come and we have attendance and we try not to argue we try to make sure our family looks cohesive when we post pictures on facebook you know we know what it looks like to be a christian on the outside so we start focusing in on those do's and don'ts and what happens is we become dead or starving on the inside because of the hypocrisy look i was able to say at that time right and so when we do this we're not actually able to receive the love of christ again from his word from him and then from the community of biblical people that we've been placed in And I know this for a fact because I'm that guy. I'm that guy who was like, I know what to do on the outside, but I wasn't sure what to do with the gospel on the inside of my heart for for everyday redemption, for everyday uh, growth in my own self. And so I knew how to look good on the outside. And I'll tell you, I was the most miserable Christian you had ever met. I was the most miserable, depressed, anxious person you had ever met. And God is still working that out of me. But now when I can step forward in transparency and genuineness and authenticity, it is life-giving. I used to think it would be soul-crushing to expose myself for who I really was and think that I would be unworthy and rejected. But then God has shown me that being transparent, because that's actually how he calls us to salvation. Think about that. When we become believers, what is the first thing we do? We repent and confess all of our stuff. We open up the closet. We pull all the stuff out from underneath the bed. And we start saying, here's all my stuff, God, that I've been trying to deal with all of my time. And I realize I'm not worth it or I'm not able to do it. Like I'm not able to work this out for myself. And I'm in deep need of your salvation. I'm in deep need of who you are. But for some reason, after we become Christians, we close that that chapter up. And we all of a sudden started thinking authenticity and transparency can't happen anymore. So we started looking at the do's and don'ts, and we say, this is what I have to do. But he's saying, let love be genuine, because he knew it started with the heart. When we see God take the law in the New Testament, and Jesus is speaking, he's like, hey, you say don't murder. He says, I say don't have hatred in your heart. He says, don't commit adultery. I say don't have lust, because if you don't have hatred, you don't have murder. If you don't have lust, you don't have adultery, Right? And when we have genuine love, love without hypocrisy, it's life-giving. We're actually able to receive the love of Christ from each other, from His Word, and from Him. So the church cannot play the for this game of hypocrisy. And one of the big areas that I see this in my life is that when I'm not doing my best as a believer, and I'm struggling, and I'm trying to do the do's and don'ts, I want to make sure that everybody else feels bad about their do's and don'ts because I want them to feel bad to make me feel better right I, I want to make sure you I can point out your sin to even the playing field so I don't feel too out of tilt and all that so what does that look like as a husband no good what does that look like as a father soul crushing what does it look like as a pastor death and so he's urging us on because it's so important that their love can be Without, it has to be without hypocrisy. It has to be genuine. It has to be authentic. And so if we look at this, we can't go too far to the one side and saying it's just about the heart and our actions don't matter. That's never what Scripture says. Never what Scripture says. Sin cannot abound no more just so grace can abound no more. He says in the very next part of this very first verse, let love be genuine. But then the very next thing he says is, abhor what is evil. Uphold fast or hold fast to what is good. Church, we need to hate what is evil. For funsies, because I don't use abhor or funsies all the time, I looked up the word abhor, and it comes out and it says to hate, to detest, to abominate, to loathe, to feel a strong aversion or an intense dislike or hatred for something. It implies an emotional aversion that is coupled with malice, to abhor So it's not that we can keep these secret sins anymore. It's not that we can have our little pet projects of holiness on the side where we're trying to work out our salvation in secret and by ourselves, but make sure when we step out of the house, things look good and they're in order. Because he says, abhor it. That means we need to get rid of it. We need to put it to death, like he's calling us, he's commanding us, put these things to death. And not just for ourselves, again, we're talking about discipleship, so it's in the context of biblical community with other brothers and sisters. So that means I want my brothers coming to me saying, hey, I see this in you. I see this sin in you. I see this evil working in you. We need to put it to death. Sisters, coming to other sisters, I see this evil, I see how you speak, and I see the anger or the malice in your voice. This needs to be put to death. And we look at Proverbs 27 and verse 5, we start to see what this looks like in this, these covenant relationship contexts to say better is open the rebuke than to have hidden love. Amen. You have a friend who's willing to let you go down the path of destruction. He is not a friend. If you have someone who's letting you walk in dangerous sin or hidden sin or in just a mediocre, lukewarm Christian lifestyle, that is not a friend. One of the hardest and worst conversations I've ever had is when men have loved me enough to pull me aside to say, you're messing up. Amen. Come on. You're messing up. And it's going to impact those that are in your covenant relationship, your wife, your kids, your church, or your relationship with God. And we look further on that it says, it's faithful are the wounds of a friend who's willing to have that conversation with you and say, hey, I know this hurts. I know this is awkward. I know this is a really weird conversation. But my love is genuine for you. This love that comes with no strings attached, this love that comes from the Father to say, I hate what is evil in you. I don't hate you. I hate what's in you. Because that's what the Father does for us. That's why he went to the cross. And I love where the next part of that passage says is hold fast to what is good. And this is where we don't have you're broken and beyond repair. This is redemption. It's not that you're evil and therefore I'm getting rid of all of you. God's saying, I'm going to hate what's evil and we're going to hold on to what's good. We're going to hold on to what I'm redeeming, the image that's being bared in mine And that we see this process being happened over and over and over again, putting to death what is evil and holding on to what is good and what is righteous. So what does this look like? It starts to live out these one another statements in verse 10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another, uh, showing honor. This love one another with brotherly affection is not a command to do something. It is actually saying, hey, this is how we are going to feel about each other. This is actually an experiential thing. This is a feeling that we have towards each other. Last week we talked about to urge each other on, what that meant. Well, that means we have brotherly affection for each other. We have personal interests in your well-being. And so we are championed alongside of you because we love you deeply and we care about what's happening to you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that genuine affection from someone else. It's amazing. There's just something so warm and comforting and life-giving and restful in that. Um, actually, yesterday I was laying in bed and just kind of reading my notes and, and praying. And my son, Ty, is having a meltdown outside of my door because it's shut and he can't open it. So I open it up and he gets in the bed with me and he just kind of like melts into my arms. And I've got my laptop and he's just being affectionate and without words because he's too I could just—I knew where he stood with me. Amen. I felt his affection for me; that he—he he wanted me to know like how much he loved me, and so much so that if we were in a quiet room, no TV, no media. He was just wanting to sit with me, and just be with me. That's affection. That's not him doing anything other than just being. That's affection, and I'm telling you, it was priceless. Makes my wife so jealous. (laughs) Part of that's what what makes it so good. (laughs) Just being honest. (laughs) He says, love one another with brotherly affection. And when we do that, outdoing one another and showing honor comes naturally, it just flows. Because we are rooted back in genuine love without hypocrisy. And we've talked about this many times, and I know I have because it's a big deal to me. When someone loves you and you can just receive that, and you're not wondering what the angle is or what's going on, man, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. And so, do not be, or love one another with brotherly affection. Now, do one another, showing honor. In verse 11, he says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit serve the Lord. Church, when somebody is rooted in the life-giving word of who God is and has experienced and tasted his love, they are fervent in spirit. We want to be around the person who is fervent about anything, right? Like somebody can just be so excited about ping pong, and when you're around them, you want to play ping pong with them. Maybe that's not a good example because nobody responded. But anyways, when you're around somebody who loves Jesus, it makes you want to go read your Bible, right? It makes you want to get down and pray. It makes you want to get excited about testimony. It makes you want to jog your memory about good things he's done in your past, right? We want to be that person. We want to be around those people who are fervent in spirit. They're not slothful in it. And in that spirit is the Holy Spirit. It's not just something I'm conjuring up in myself. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that is happening among us. And when that happens, we are able to serve the Lord. All the different ministries, all the different things that we do for each other in this church, outside of this church, in our homes, it may be, look on service level, that we're doing it for one another. But when we are ultimately serving, we are serving the Lord. When you love me, you are serving the Lord. When I love you, as a church, when we love each other, we are not serving and loving each other, period. We are serving and loving the Lord. And it is transformative and powerful because people get caught up in that and they see it and they get to taste and experience the genuine love of God through the genuine love that we show and serve one another in. Yesterday we had a meeting and I'm not going to say who but we had so many community group leaders up here and so many people helped put that meeting on by setting up chairs, turning on the air conditioner, getting food for us and not only that apparently like my tire was getting low before the meeting started so I knew by the end of this meeting that my tire was going to need to be changed but I knew by the end of the meeting I was not going to be the one changing that tire. And that sounds like me being arrogant or being like goofy. The reason is because I had so many people said, Nick, we're going to have it taken care of. That was the love of Christ being shown in a very genuine and real way. Because we had our kids, we, you know, we were still cleaning up. And so by the time I walked outside, that tire was aired back up and ready to go for my family. And that's huge. That's our main car. That loved us not just in that moment. That loved us for the rest of this week or until that tire goes out, right? That's the genuine love that we see that's happening over and over when we serve one another. It says rejoice in hope. It's not always going to be petals and roses, okay? Because when he says rejoice in hope, hope comes when things are not going well. Hope is not needed unless there's tribulation, persecution, persecution. Sorrow, suffering, mentally, physically, spiritually, or otherwise. We rejoice in the hope of the genuine steadfast love of who God is that sustains us when things are not going well, when things are tough. And as a community, we remind each other of the love of the Father, that genuine love by pouring into each other by meeting the needs, by praying, by lifting each other up, by being my son, being affectionate for one another, urging each other on so that we would know the love of the Father. So rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. And one of the main ways we do this is be in constant prayer. Church, discipleship, biblical transformation does not happen apart from Christ. We must be a church that has a culture of prayer. Because when we pray, when we submit ourselves to the authority of who Christ is, when we give ourselves over to say, I'm no longer going to love with hypocrisy, which is all about me and my authority and my power, when we say, I'm going to give that over to you, we are submitting ourselves, and prayer is recognizing Christ as the ultimate authority over everything. Tribulation, suffering, joy, peace, all of that belongs to him. We must be in constant prayer for ourselves and for each other. Then we also look in verse 13 and it says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Do you see this flow from genuine love to now we see these practical things happening? That we are to meet the needs of the saints, not just physical spiritual as well. And it says to do so by showing hospitality. We were talking yesterday about different relationships. And um, there's four that I like to think about as one is we have public relationship, which is just that we all kind of, we live in the city. Um, We have, we're aware of other people. We may see them or recognize them, but that's the most. But then you also have Social relationships, which is social media, people you recognize but you don't have daily contact with. Um, You may know your barista or your Chick-fil-A operator, however often you go there. Um, But then you also have your personal relationships. These are people who've probably been in your home. They know your birth date. they They know you pretty well. But the big one is intimate relationships. And to be honest with you, church, biblical community is intimate relationships. That's genuine love at its best because genuine love and intimate relationship is I'm completely transparent before you. This is my house, not clean. This is my house before it gets posted on Facebook. These are my kids. Before we have the speech in the car, you're going to act right, right? This is my marriage before we halfway apologize to make sure we get through things. Right. This is the intimate hospitality when we open up our homes, open up our resources, open up our lives to share and show the love of Christ, to serve one another, to meet each other's needs, both physically and spiritually. It cannot be done on your own. Don't do it on your own. It cannot be done in secret. You're not a burden to us. We want to take that burden. We talked about how we get to multiply the joys and we get to divide the burdens up. That's what this looks like. And what this looks like here at Sauter Rock is that's community groups. Now, as a church, we're not perfect. We're not. But we want to strive to be genuine and authentic. We want to walk in faith and discipleship, knowing that we are not where we need to be, and that Christ is still working things out in us, and that happens when we are genuine in our love, authentic, transparent showing affection towards each other loving each other through service hospitality intimate relationship the primary way we cultivate that is through community groups if you're part of it that's where we want to keep going that's what we want this to functionally look like to be modeled after some of our groups are doing it well some of us are still learning what that looks like if you're not part of the community here at slough we really desperately want you to be there And another place this looks like is redemption groups, which is these small groups that meet to talk about our suffering and our sin in the context of God's biblical redemption. And it's this beautiful place where you can be genuine and authentic and has a safe place to be so that you may know the hope of Christ in a very real and tangible way. Um, So we've been doing interviews as we've gone through this uh, sermon series. And so, being in prayer for my wife, I have roped her into doing this with me. And so, I want you guys to welcome my wife, Kate Hill, as she comes up here with me. Hi. So, this is my awesome wife, um, Kate. We've been married almost 10 years now, and uh, that feels weird to say. We have four kids, starting from eight years old to two. And we have two of each, and uh, we love them, we like them a lot, and uh, <laughs> they're part of our redemption and discipleship <laughs> as well. And uh, so anyways, uh, I invited my wife up here, I'm not going to say Kate anymore because it feels weird, I invited my wife up here because she does life with me um, as my, uh, the wife of a pastor, um, a community group leader, um, you know, there's a lot that kind of gets put on us to be perfect. And we're not. We're not perfect people. And uh, so anyways, I asked her to come and share kind of her experience and her side of this, um, especially from community and from redemption groups. And so one of the things I wanted you to share with them is just how biblical community has impacted your relationship with God.
1: Okay. Well, I was thinking back to um, back to when I was in high school, you know, starting to see where God had my life going as a teenager. And um you know, there's the different things that can influence you, like your peers, you know, what's the going on with them, whether it's good or bad, if you're going to go along with them or if you're going to choose to follow the Lord. And those are sometimes hard times. And was um, a couple of women that came alongside me that were from our church. And um, they just really were intentional about investing in my life and um, having a personal relationship. We'd get together, you know, have lunch or something. But they knew the things that I would be struggling with as a teenager and they urged me to seek God and to, um, you know, not follow the crowd, but to to go the lonely road, even though it was hard. But they were there. It wasn't by myself. Like, I had those ladies that were very influential. And, um, you know, even through, like, when Nick and I dated, they were people I confided in. And um, today I still have a relationship with them. And so that's been a continuing influence on me. And then... Um, since we've been at Solid Rock, um, we've been here five and a half years, and that's just been really amazing because um, well, because I grew up in a very legalistic culture in my church. So it was very different for me to come to Solid Rock where, um, first of all, when we, um, Nick became on staff, you know, what was expected of me as his wife, and then um, just the first time we came, what people were like and how they welcomed us. And it created an environment um, to open up and to be willing to share um, who we really were um, and not just put up this facade, which I've become pretty good at doing. So it's been really life-changing for me um, to be in a church that really promotes community and being transparent and like have people that have come around us and just, um, you know, urge us on to Christ um, to be real and honest with them and not, you know, putting our best foot forward, but people that know who we really are.
0: Yeah. It was a big deal to us um, to feel loved and accepted from the beginning or feel like this was a safe place because we weren't really, really sure um, how we would be received. Like, it's scary to open yourself up to people you don't know. And when you see that genuine love the way we did, like, it was... It was easier to step out in faith, and and we were we were sold like we knew this is where God wanted us. Um, so we've been talking about genuine love. Um, would you share with them some of the ways you've seen genuine love shown here at Solid Rock?
1: Um, some tangible ways are some of the first thing that came to my mind. Um, we have four kids, and I stay at home with them, and so that can sometimes be a lot. And so just the way that. Um, our friends or community people outside of our community group have really just loved our kids. Um, when we're at church and they're being crazy, they'll help corral them or just, you know, I I know that people love us and they love them or they'll watch them for us so we can go out on a date, you know, have some time by ourselves. Or there's been a couple times when one of them's been in the hospital, you know, and they've come alongside us. They've prayed for us. They brought meals. They've come to the hospital. Um, you know, just surrounded us with prayer. We knew we weren't going through that alone when we were in those hard times. And um, just, it's been really amazing to have a community that just loves us. And um, and then the women that I have a close relationship with that will speak truth to me, um, love me um, when it's hard, you know, when I'm having a hard day, whether I'm just doing great or if I'm feeling like a terrible wife and mom. Um, they're there they know who the real me is they'll love me there and then urge me on to to look to christ um to fulfill me and to show me who i really am that those things don't define me but that there's grace um in those moments
0: um so one of the cool things is doing redemption groups is my wife got to do that along with me and uh, so would you share with everyone your experience with that
1: so, I was um, really um, intimidated at first. Um, I, um, to be honest, I was kind of skeptical because I'd heard, like, for other people, it had been very life-changing, and I just didn't really feel like it was going to be for me. Like, it was just going to be just another thing I went through that would be good, but it just didn't impact me. And, um, you know the first week, you know, we would share, we were sharing our stories of our life and where we'd come from and just the things that had gone on and, you know, I'm hearing people share and I'm thinking, I don't the things that I've gone through don't even compare and why do I even feel hurt about these things because they don't even amount to what other people have gone through but I know that like, I still need redemption even though I may not have had as much hurt in my life and so I was able to you know, be honest and open, and um, God really worked in me. As well, one of the ways was in my relationship with my mom. Um, growing up in a legalistic culture in our church, you know, there was this standard of perfection I felt like I had to live up to, and I knew I couldn't. But I got good at putting on the outward, but inside there was a lot of guilt and shame that I felt because I just felt like I wasn't meeting the standards or the desires of my parents or. Um, So that was just, that's carried with me through my life um, very much, and it just really affects me in different ways. So um, God started to work on me, and for a long time, it's like I would think, you know, God, are you going to change my mom where she doesn't make me feel this way, make me feel guilty about the decisions I'm making or shame, and instead God worked on my heart, and he gave me a different outlook for my mom um, to see her in different eyes and to love her in a way that I haven't been able to in the past and actually be able to talk to her and be transparent in a way I've never been able to before. And so God's still working on that, but that was very healing for both of us. Like we've been able to talk about that. And so, um, that was just really healing and amazing to go through that.
0: Yeah. And the cool thing was, is when you got to speak with your mom, that was one of the big times that she got to really taste and see genuine love for herself. And so for her to see what God was doing and her daughter impacted her greatly as well. And that was wonderful and amazing to see. Um, so when we do redemption groups, you go through the, with a group of ladies and then the guys do it with a group of guys. And so would you kind of share like how that group um, helped and like how they were part of that story of redemption?
1: Well, everybody came into it knowing that the goal is to be very open and transparent, that you're not holding things back. So like... I wasn't the only one that was sharing my heart and what hurts there were and what was going on. So it was easier to be able to share knowing that everybody else is doing the same thing. And they were very encouraging, comforting. Like I said, when I felt like what I was going through wasn't in anything compared, they were still didn't minimize the pain or the shame or the things that I felt. Um, they came around and were encouraging and recognized you know, what, what I was feeling. And um, they were being honest, too. So there's a bond that you... Make when you're being honest and open and sharing things that are from the deepest part of your heart. So um, it was just really amazing to go through that with those ladies and to see where they were coming from, too. Yeah,
0: that's such a cool thing. And all of this is is being done because God is good, He works, His word is true. And then when we step out in faith and we bear it all, like God meets us in those places. And it's good. You're not perfect, but being part of that story of redemption, like, it's good to see uh, that life be still transformed, even though we've been believers for a while now. So, anyways, give my wife a round of applause. Whew, I like her a lot. Um, just to be transparent with y'all, like, you know, being believers for a long time, like, when we were married, um, like, specifically for me, like, I, I would get frustrated in my sin and blame it on that the kids were making a mess, you know, that they were the ones kind of interrupting my utopia here on earth and, and things like that. And, and so, like, it would be really frustrating to me, and, you know, we would start saying, man, I just need to go on vacation, we just need to get away. And to be honest, I wouldn't have told you this, but what we started trying to do is like saying, if I could just make my life look like this, and take my kids away and out of it for a while, then we can get our footing, then we can get our rhythm going, life will be good, and really not recognizing that it was sin in my heart. And so (laughs) I remember one time we went on vacation a while back, and we were like, slow down a little bit, let the kids off with the grandparents, and we just kept going. And so we spent a week, it was wonderful, we just felt relaxed, and we were eating out, and just sleeping in, and it was wonderful. But you know what happened, is we got back, and the situation we had controlled went back to the way it was. And the kids started doing the same thing they were always doing, which was fighting and teasing each other, challenging our authority, and it all came flooding right back. Because if we don't allow the heart to be changed then there is no change. And, and so those, those have been impactful moments in my life to realize that I am still in process, still in need, and that manipulating our life situations, trying to control, saying that it's my kids or my husband or my job or all these other different things, yeah, they contribute, but at the end of the day, God wants to work on us. And whether those things change God redeems and gives us a new lens and a new life and a new hope for that same situation. You know the irony of it is is we got another kid out of that vacation and just kind of added to the whole thing. That's the ultimate God of going, you're not in control here. And so uh, anyways, as we start to wrap up and we start to kind of respond and the worship team comes up um, let us think about this. Like, where is God calling us to affect change in our heart? What is God through His Word or through a brother or sister in Christ saying, there's something evil, there's something sinful that He wants to remove, He wants to put to death? And He wants to do that in this biblical context of community, of genuine love for each other, brotherly and sisterly affection for one another. And so if you're here, you've been struggling with hidden sin, you're broken, you're tired, you don't know how to deal with it, or you've been trying to deal with it on your own for so long, then today we want to offer you that place to respond. Our prayer partners are going to be up here um, in the back. Our pastors are going to be up here. We are not perfect, but we want to be that safe place That Paul's writing about that God commands us to function as believers, to have love for each other, to bear with each other, to be willing to speak those hard things to each other, knowing that those ultimately give true life and transformation. To bear with one another, to love one another, to serve one another. And we want to do that here. We want to be faithful because God has given that to us to do as the body of Christ. And if you are looking for a way to get connected or plugged in, we want to be there to help make sure that happens as well. Um, We don't want anybody being left out on the outside trying to figure out life on their own. I've been there, I've done that, it doesn't work. And you can actually be here, do that, and be surrounded, and still technically be trying to do it on your own. And one of the key ways we know that is whether we're confessing and being transparent with one another. And so wherever you're at this morning, we want you to have an opportunity to respond. If you have never received or placed your faith and trust in who Christ is, but you want to know this love that is above all with no strings attached, then today, again, we want to make that available to you. It's not us, it's all Christ. And it is the hope that we place everything in. So let's pray and let's respond to what the Lord is doing. Father, we love you. And, God, your love is um, something we are not able to fully express because, Father, it is beyond what we can comprehend. The Lord, it is desperately what we need. We need your grace and your mercy because, God, you are pure and holy. You are just. You are righteous. And, Father, we are wicked. And so, Father, we ask you to move among us right now, that, Lord, that we would respond, that we would abhor and hate what is evil and sinful in this world. But, Father, hold fast to what is good. So, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to just respond to your spirit moving in us. That, God, we would bring glory and honor to you in all that we say and do. So we pray this in the name of Jesus.